1: As a business owner, are you continually searching for less stress, more time freedom, and increased profits? Prosper for Business by Mackie might be the solution you've been looking for. Prosper for Business is both an executive coaching program and fractional CFO service designed to deliver exceptional results through increased education, visibility, and accountability. Prosper for Business graduate Jude Hemmen, CEO of Furlong Building Enterprises said, the decision to work with Mackey was a life changer. They truly care about our success and give us the tools to do so. Working with the Mackey team also helped Julie Bach, owner of the Bach Group, see things in the business she hadn't seen before that led her to the business being more efficient, productive, and profitable. Does Prosper for Business sound like the right next step for your business? Visit Mackeyadvisors.com/slash small giants. That's m-a-c-k-e-y advisors.com slash smallgiants to learn more.
0: My guest today is Jean Pitzo. Jean is the CEO of Ace Metal Crafts. Jean first joined her father's firm as a sales associate back in 1983 when the company had revenues of just over $1 million. He became president six years later, CEO in 2007, and revenues were over 32 million in 2022. And while growth is important, Gene's life's mission has been to create a psychologically healthy workplace. Ace has been named a Forbes Small Giant, and Gene is also a mentor in our sounding board program. Welcome,
2: Gene. Thank you, Paul. It's wonderful to be with you.
0: Well, I've loved the impact that you've had on the Small Giants community and our members over the years. You've been really active, but I really want to get into your story and the impact that you have had over many years and continue to have on your team. So tell us just a little bit about Ace Metalcrafts, Crafts, what you guys do, kind of scope, who your customers are, etc.
2: Sure. Um, we Ace Metalcrafts is a we fabricate and machine components for food processing and pharmaceutical processing equipment. And we also assemble those components for some of our accounts and um, do a little bit of equipment manufacturing. So we do a lot of, uh, you know, machining, welding, polishing, and uh, a lot of creative work in the stainless steel um, processing, food processing side of the, the world where we're, Ah, uh, making sure people have healthy food to eat by processing it with really sanitary equipment.
0: And and today, uh, how many employees do you do you guys have, and um, kind of the scope of you know who my, a typical customer might be?
2: Okay, so we have a, a, right around 150 employees right now in two different facilities, and our customers are you wouldn't know their names, but they design. OEM equipment to go into the food industries. So we make components and assemblies for them and then they sell the entire processing line into a food plant.
0: Okay, got it. So, uh you've been you've been uh at the company a long time. Uh talk about how how you started, what got you interested in joining. And I know that uh uh the uh your father's daughter j- joined the firm ins- instead of his sons initially so um how did that happen
2: well way back then that was very unusual um yes this is my 40th year actually in east craft so i'm winding uh, my career down but it's been such a great fun ride my father was an entrepreneur he had a couple different very small companies and in 1982 um he was in the housing industry in the 82, the industries were very soft and slow. So he went out and bought this little sheet metal fabrication company, Ace Metal Crafts. And by that time, my, I have two brothers and two sisters, but the, my two brothers did not want to go into business with my dad because they had worked with my dad the whole time they were growing up. And they went on to achieve great things in different types of careers. But because of that, I got an opportunity. I had my hand up. I'll do it. I'll do it. I want to work with you. (laughs) Um, I never looked back. I loved every second. I only got to work with my dad for six years, but of the 40. But he, um, of course, had a big influence on me the whole time growing up. And then, of course, for those six years, it was so fun to have lunch with him at a corner diner and just pick his brain.
0: So, Mm, yeah. And and how were you drawn then to growing the ladder of leadership in the company
2: well um I was kind of bold I guess maybe too big for my britches at the time but I just had my I said I want to take over one day what do I got to learn to take over went on to get my master's degree in finance and um just kept pushing my dad saying I can do it I can do it and Mm -hmm. was pretty young I uh, was right after I had my first child I was 31 when I um Came back from my first maternity leave and he handed me the keys to the castle and he he moved away to Florida and I took over from then on. Wow. Had a lot of trust in me. But Paul, between me and you, I didn't know what I was doing. So I had to trust everybody that worked at Ace Metalcraft. Craft.
0: Well, yeah, let's talk about that for a minute because you know the truth is for all of us that had that joined the entrepreneurial world, we don't really know what we're doing, if we're being honest, especially those <laughs> yeah, early okay. years. So, how did you um, develop that trust? Trust is so important in business. I know it's a huge part of what you do today and teaching that. But how did you overcome what might have been people who said, "You know, what's she doing here?" and and uh, um, how did you earn that trust? Uh,
2: that's a, that's a great question because I was 26 years old and people had been at this company for many years already. I knew for some reason I was always comfortable not knowing things. Like I wasn't afraid to say, I don't know, let, let me check. So I asked them, I asked their advice. I started, uh, you know, weekly meetings to see what they were working on see how I could support them. It was just my natural way. Right. From the, right from the start, because I didn't know, um, I knew how to do sales and uh, read financial statements from the, you know, from being educated in that. But uh, fabricating metal or machining metal, I had no idea. But I think because I put my trust in them and included them and asked them their advice, I think that's how it all started and began. And over time, they saw that I could do the job and make some of the tough decisions too.
0: Yeah! Wow! Yeah! Incredible what what you've accomplished all through developing that early trust and and now you've built culture as really the the shining star of the organization yes. in, in, a, in a manufacturing firm um, and which is you know fairly unusual so uh, you guys have won lots of awards for your trust-based culture sure. you have an mm-hmm. incredible uh training program talk mm-hmm. a little bit about some of the specific things you do to create that type of culture
2: Broadly speaking, we do a lot of things a lot of the other small giants companies do. We do uh, share the financials, open book management, of course. Um, But the the real key to it is, as you know, Paul, people leave their jobs because of their immediate supervisors. So we pour a lot of money, time and energy into training our leaders and developing leaders. And... You know, to be a leader at Ace Metalcraft is quite an undertaking because it's conscious leadership 100 percent. It's self-awareness. It's this conscious intelligence about your impact on other people. And we've worked at that for quite a long time. And I'm very proud of that. And proud to say some of the leaders that have left us have gone on to be presidents of their own companies. I got a couple of people like that and. Um, I get to spread that, some of that with, um, of course, with the sounding board, with two of my mentees I have through Small Giants, which I love. But, you know, we start with emotional intelligence classes that we've done. We've just done for years and years where we're um, and we don't exclude anybody. Everybody's included, whether you're a welder or you speak a different language. So we have kind of a basis of the emotional intelligence. But. For everybody in the company, but for the uh, leaders, we take it to a different level of this, what I call conscious intelligence. And I have brought in, um, of course, facilitators, consultants and um, coaches for all of the leaders to help develop number one, our own self-trust, because I'm finding when we can start trusting ourselves we save a lot of energy. If we trust our gut more, we save a lot of energy and we can pay more attention to what's going on around us. We can, we notice more, we, there's more that we consider. There's more, um, we're just more curious when when we get over this hump of our self-trust, we can be more available to the people that we're leading. And I find that the more that we work on this, Paul, the better our strategic thinking becomes and therefore our better strategy overall as a company to compete in the marketplace.
0: And, and Jean, how do you, how do you do that? I'm thinking of our listeners who would say, okay, uh, we'd love to build up our own internal training programs. And I know that takes years to develop, but from a practical standpoint, how do you do that today? Are are these, how, how do leaders get identified to participate? How do they learn through, uh, are these internal trainers? Are they external trainers? Is it formal, informal? Uh, and and even, how do you stay committed to that, even when the business goes through tough times?
2: Yeah, like today, um, yeah, because... It is a gut check sometimes, Paul, because you think, "Oh, I, you know, we can save money here by not by discontinuing some of these programs." And I've just always stuck with it. Some of it is internal developed. The EI, all the EI classes. There's 16 different subjects we teach emotional intelligence on, and that's all home developed within the organization. And uh, we have uh, our VP of HR does some of the training and I do some of the training because I'm kind of I'm the CEO, but I'm kind of in a step back role because my daughter is taking over a lot of the business and uh, we have a great president running things too. So I get to do that because I enjoy it, but we also bring in um, executive coaches and formal training. And then we also have, um, it's kind of like t- two roads. We have this hard knocks, how to run a business training. And then we also have how to be a conscious leader kind of training. And And, and the leaders give both of those things. But I've brought people in from the outside.
0: Yeah. Uh, it's it's really uh, incredible how you've done that. And yet I believe there have got to have been times where, especially again in the industry that you're in, some of those, uh, not even frontline, but even leaders are thinking, you know, why are we spending so much time on this? Why aren't we focusing more on the numbers yeah. and hitting yeah. our goal um, and are maybe cynical about it? So how do you deal with that?
2: That is absolutely true what you're saying. And we have a lot of engineers that uh, have div- our leaders and um, actually a very small percentage of our business is actually uh, it, uh, geared toward the human skills versus the, you know, the scientific engineering, how to make things skills, possibly because I was just so committed to it. And over the years, they just trusted me that this was a good thing to do. Even when they were skeptical, I was blessed with their, they put their trust in my hand, in my hands, you know, they, I asked for their trust to go forward in it, it's, it's almost like a spiritual type journey, this conscious awareness, this conscious intelligence, because it's all about themselves and, you know, their triggers and their emotions and what's going on in them so they can be more present for the workforce. So basically, Paul, I believe that that's what it's been is just me sticking with it, being super committed to it. And then, of course, the results are there where we get people that are new to our company, even a vendor or a customer, and they just don't know what it is. They can't put their finger on it, but they come in the buildings, They're like, I don't, everyone's so happy here. Like, what is going on? Or they just know something's different, but they don't know what it is. But they'll inquire, like, what do you, do you guys have values? Like, what's going on here? It's like. Well the values are just the start but yes we do have values <laughs> I think the proof is in the pudding for them that um they were treated and developed in this conscious psychologically healthy workplace and and they a lot of them have come from pretty toxic work environments and they so they can see and feel the difference
0: well and I think the, for the consistency that you've shown over the years has made all the difference in the world. And when, uh, I've always said that, that, um, no matter what kind of what organization we're in, we become a reflection of our leader and mm. the organization clearly is a reflection of you and, and, uh, you've developed tremendous trust over your team. I'm sure they, you know, anyone would fall on a sword for you over oh, time. Thank you. Um, yeah. and, and I'm wondering As you went through those early years and ended up taking over for your dad, now you're looking at your daughter as the the potential next leader. Um, Does she have similar sensibilities or do you have any concerns that this sort of legacy that you've created will survive in the same way as she takes over?
2: It, oh, that is such a great question, and there's we have a president in between the two of us. She's VP of Manufacturing, and her and I are very different in that I was more sales, customer, and HR orientated, and she is wants to be in operations, likes to run the shop floor. Mm-hmm. Um, but absolutely, growing up in my household and listening to all of this all these years. Uh, she's right in line with it. And um, she just it, it, it could not be a bigger support of it. Uh, she supports me. She supports Keith, our president, and um, just is a good, cheer, big cheerleader in it.
0: Yeah. In other words, you brainwashed her from early on.
2: I think I brainwashed her. Well, <laughs> she doesn't know that there's another way to run a business. Way, but yeah, exactly. So yeah. This is all yeah. she. This well, is all she knows. Yeah.
0: Well, it's a it's a good example that you set for her. So that's exciting, I'm sure, for you to,
2: oh, to have very that much.
0: opportunity. Yeah. Very um,
2: much.
0: Jean, I want to take you back a little bit now, just sure. because you talked a little bit about your. Uh, your dad's influence. But tell me about your folks, those early, you know, maybe early jobs that you had that might have had an influence on your drive and your your own leadership sensibilities.
2: Well, I grew up in a household with four other siblings and um, my parents worked extremely hard and they both worked. We had nothing growing up, um, which wasn't that unusual in those years but my dad I remember took a chance he borrowed money he worked for a, com- a corporate company and he borrowed money from a great aunt and uncle and took a chance and bought this old broken down well drilling company at the time and so began his entrepreneurship and just watching him and the dinner table talk every day growing up he you know he started another company and developed a leader there and he had a third littler company and in every one of those little companies he raised the buyer of the companies which was I thought was pretty interesting and then uh, when he went Ace Melchrist was his fourth company that he ended up owning and apparently he raised the buyer for that too because then eventually my sister and I bought it from him and yeah so just being around entrepreneurship, the ups and downs of it, of it the difficulties of it, um, yeah, it was. You're just, you know, you're just kind of bathed in it. Your ho- my whole growing up years.
0: And and was your was your interest in joining the business something that just occurred as you grew up watching him? Did you have schooling around it? You know, was it that you wanted to work with your dad, or you just saw this opportunity? that interested you in the business itself?
2: A hundred percent. I wanted to work with my dad. My brothers got to work with him when they were growing up and I didn't. And I wanted, I always was working, you know, waitressing or working at some other place. And uh, when this opportunity popped up, I just wanted to work with him and spend the time with him.
0: Yeah. I know the feeling when I uh, uh, was going through college and and couldn't make it in pre-med and decided to go to law school, um, and I really had very little interest in going to law school. But I, my dad was a lawyer, and I wanted to work with him. So um, I went through that and worked with him for eighteen months, and then left to start my business with my two brothers. But oh, yeah, yeah, we did in the same office where where our legal practice was. So my dad just loved it that his sons oh, were going to work together. But that was one of the joys of my life to be able to work with my dad and
2: again, yeah. saw
0: those saw the values that he had uh, in growing his small business all those years. And that had a tremendous impact on me. So
2: yeah, I don't know if everyone knows, if all your listeners know, but they, they, you eventually sold that business. Yeah, successfully, very successfully, if I remember right.
0: Yeah, 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 almost a a thirty year run. So that was really, really fun, and I uh, yeah. learned a lot. But it all came from watching the the values and the the work ethic of my dad. And yeah. uh, uh, you know, I think you saw a lot of that same same thing. Um, any other you know early experiences, or maybe um, an unexpected learning from an unexpected source along the way.
2: You know, when I first got out of college, I worked for, I don't even know if they're still out there, but Kelly Services, the temporary help people, was the first job I had out of college. And the boss I had was a woman. Her name was Ellen Williams. She's long since gone now, but she had so much influence on me on um, how to treat customers, sales, getting out in the marketplace, competing There's no disadvantage. You just work through it. You figure it out. Um, And she was very, very, very kind to everybody that worked in it was a small office of this huge corporation. But and she was my biggest cheerleader. And I tried to emulate that. Then when I got into a leadership role that. You know, I grew up in, you know, going through college, I was worked as a waitress and. It wasn't that way. It was more of a toxic and sick environment. And so when I got out of college and had this really nice boss, I was like, oh, this is how business can actually be. So she was a good mentor for that period of time. And then I, just from there, I worked there for, I can't remember how many years, but then got the opportunity to work with my dad. And that was a good move as well.
0: You know, when I... Look, kind of at your background, and I, I, I think that there was a moment where your your view of leadership, your view of management versus leadership, or this move into focusing more on the psychological aspects of workplace yes. culture, hit you. Kind of in reading a book back in, yeah, uh, I think it was two thousand five. Tell me about yeah. that. Yeah,
2: well, it, it actually started a little bit before that, and it was um, during the reset. We. Ace Metalcrest was in a recession even before nine, right before 9-11 in that uh, there was mad cow disease in the meat industry and we were extremely slow. And then we had Y2K, mad cow disease, and then bam, 9-11 happened. So everyone was in a recession by then, but it was really a long period of time. And all I knew what to do was to cut lay people off, cut expenses, cut, cut, cut. And I cut until you're cutting to the meat of it to, and losing money every day. And a friend of mine just said, oh, I'm starting this class like journaling to wholeness. It was called way back in 2002, I think it was. And the first lesson was in a scarcity mindset versus versus an abundant mindset, and that flipped the switch right then and there. The next day, I went to work and started spending money, knowing we were going to get the orders. Shifted the depression in the company, got excited about lean manufacturing. Sent people to seminars and webinars. Well, not webinars; they didn't have those then. But um, so that started it. And then by two thousand five, so I'm having this experience out. It, in my personal journey. And then in 2005 or 2007, I think I read the book, Eckhart Tolle's The New Earth. And, you know, I, I debated for a couple of years. I was nervous, but then I had the leadership team read. We read it together and it just flipped the switch where we all had a different perspective that um, the energy we're bringing to the table and that our consciousness is what really mattered in, in going forward and having a higher purpose to the business, it's there's a higher purpose than bending metal, um, and I yeah, never looked back. Then just kept evolving that and evolving that and evolving it.
0: When you first brought, let's say, that book to the team, and I remember having book clubs and things like that. That I uh, yeah. would be inspired by something, and I'd ask the team. Well, let's be honest, made the team read them. And I um, exactly. made them write like a one-page book report about the the, the three, you know, and they were yeah. kind of kicking and screaming, but then we had this incredible conversation about what they learned and it really eventually sunk in. I mean, did they get this stuff right away or did it take a little while for oh, them to no. accept that there was another way?
2: It took a little while. I took some grief, of course, because, you know, I even then we were a pretty close leadership team, um, but... Then then the next book came and the next evolution came and I kept at it. And so they came on board and um, in a really big way. And then eventually we were big enough to have our own HR person, uh, Deb Benning. And she's been with me ever since. And she's just taken the culture even to more new levels of this and surrounded myself with some of the leaders that could help carry it forward because Paul, as you know, it's a heavy lift Sometimes It can be overwhelming. And one of the things about our company is we're right outside Chicago and we have people that work at our company from 17 different countries. So if you can imagine the culture differences, the ethnic differences, the language differences, it, that piece can get overwhelming. So It was I was able to, with my executive coach, spread this responsibility for culture across the whole leadership team. It wasn't just on my shoulders. And that was a big shift that that for them to think it was their responsibility as well, instead of just, oh, this is the thing that Gene likes to do. It was no, we're all doing this and this is important.
0: Yeah, it's critical for that to be in place, for this to sustain over time especially when you, like you said, are kind of in the back half, you're, you're starting to slow down or, Uh you know, may retire in a number of years or, or something, you've got to put that in place or it's at risk of not surviving. Um, How have you been able to, not just with your daughter, but just, you know, look uh, at your leadership team, uh, probably make some tough decisions about your leadership team. uh, And, you know, along the way, to make sure that um, as you move, look towards the future for yourself, that what you built is going to stay
2: intact? Oh, those are good questions. Um, Some of it is systemic. And I know a lot of the small giants use the EOS system. Ace Metalcraft does EOS as well. And so as much as we can, we also incorporate some of the culture pieces into our EOS system. So our Weekly meetings, we do a three-minute uh, meditation before they start. Uh, we have value stream meetings that incorporate our values and our the different behavior. We just don't talk about the values. We talk about how do we behave these different values? How are we doing with that? Uh, we just have we have some systemic things in place that just happen automatically that we don't even notice anymore that we do. That's a new person might think, oh, what are they doing? The lights are off and they're in a meeting and they're there's meditation music on. right? <laughs> um, so so that is there. And then just the leadership team. We have what I call a deep bench of leaders, so we've incorporated in pretty pretty deep into the organization but the other on the other side of the coin paul as um we age out or decide to leave we also have to let it be and uh let them take it in the direction that they want to take it and all i can do is i did the best i could and hopefully hopefully they could, because the top leader of the company absolutely has to be 100% in on it and hopefully that's what will happen
0: I think you set the stage very, very well for that. Um, you're obviously so committed to this side of it. You personally participate in it. You know, what, what do you think now as we look to ending 2023 are the biggest challenges that you face as a company?
2: Our, uh, our company is having a very different year this year. I would say our company right now is in a recession just because the, uh, the industries that we sell into are slower because of the interest rates and the price of uh, food today. Um, So that, that'll be one of the challenges. And the other challenge is what just as with everybody else is getting great talent, I think we do a pretty good job of retaining the great talent, but hiring great talent, bringing it in, bringing it along. Um, when we bring new people in, they do not trust, they don't trust us. And they're waiting for the other shoe to drop. They're a hair trigger. They're hypervigilant. And it takes a good year to 18 months for people to get relaxed into the culture. I wish we could, I wish that would be faster but it depends on the baggage that they bring and where they have been previously and what kind of bosses they've had in the past. Um, but the biggest challenge will be when the faucet turns back on, having enough of the talent that we need. And um, of course the more immediate is Sales because our we're we're in a slump. I know not every industry is, but we are in 2024, um, and that's it. I think we've accomplished so much just with our diversity and our uh, acceptance of different thought, different people. All of that is is so present at Ace Metalcraft that uh, we're all doing. Is, wonderful brainstorming, transforming teams, going all in on the training right now because we are slower. So I think we're gonna be ready for it.
0: Well, while some companies would be pulling back uh, at times like this around the training, you're you're leaning in.
2: Yes, and, I am.
0: Using that downtime to even um, build great leaders to create that trust for new people in the business, which you said takes time. And what yeah. I love is that, that, like you said, that culture is part of your process. It's mm-hmm. part of the operational manual, whether you use EOS or anything else, you've honored it enough that it's not just a feeling, it's something that we've institutionalized.
2: Yes, absolutely. We have.
0: So, Jean, with uh, the many years now under your belt, what is mm-hmm. an area of leadership that you feel like you still need to improve on?
2: Oh, that's interesting. I um. That's a great question. When I was first starting my journey into leadership and then taking it to this conscious thinking area, there wasn't even a book written on it. And now it's kind of proliferated. There's books everywhere. I constantly read about leaders, leadership development, consciousness, culture, things. Um, And I surround myself with other leaders like that and have these conversations. But I feel like there's another level of it that there's another level that we can take our leaders to within themselves, because I still feel this self-trust piece. It's easy for the founders or the top people to get there, I think. But for the rest of the leaders, there's always that critic out there or there's there performance is being judged in some way in their minds. And I always thought, God, I don't have this performance review person above me. And if I could take that and take that, if there was no such thing as judgment, that people didn't feel judged by others at all, I think the innovation and creativity that would be unleashed would just be astounding. And I'm not, quite sure how to get it there 100%, Paul, but I'm going to work at that.
0: Well, that's a great goal because it's one of those things that the destination is probably not completely achievable, right, to eliminate (laughs) judgment. (laughs) Um, But if we can reduce judgment enough to uh, create space uh, for that innovation and the strategic thinking and the trust, um, then that will be a tremendous contribution. And Um, And so lastly, Jean, what might you say to a younger person who's maybe starting out in their career um, about what advice you'd give them uh, as they look to the future with a lot of uncertainty?
2: Oh, right out of the gate. Um, Go just go for your dreams, know what your dreams are, and don't be worried if you don't know. A lot of us didn't know or don't know, but. This is almost going to sound negative, Paul, but don't play, again, don't be in the victim train. Like all of us have problems. The company's, the company has problems. But come to, it, noticing a problem is one thing. coming to the table with some ideas to brainstorm it is a whole different uh, place to be. And that's the place you want to be. Not knowing there's a problem is a problem. So surface the problem. But. Don't be victim of the problem. Come to the table, prepared to jump in, volunteer, take responsibility, make things happen. Um, don't waste any energy being offended. Just keep going forward.
0: Yeah, well, you've had many of those experiences and, and yet you realize that you, you know when you have good values, when you're focused on this conscious side of it, you put your head down, you work hard, you surround yourself with smart people and you give them that that permission to be self-aware and to come up with ideas. And you're going to create a culture like that. And so I think that that's something that's really hard for many young people to realize. Uh, my own daughter is graduating from college this year and is already. Um, very intimidated by all of her friends who seem to know exactly what they want to do and what their direction is. And as much as I tell them that that they're all going to change, don't worry. Um, She doesn't trust me quite yet. So uh, she has to experience that on her own and realize that just like I did, you know, we change many times, we morph, we we find our passion many times later in life. And you have to just, you you know, have those values work hard and it'll come to you. Um, but it's yeah. just it, it's hard for people to accept sometimes.
2: Well, that's well said, because I think there's way too much pressure on 17, 18, 19, 20 year olds to know what they want to do and what they want to major in and all that. It's God, how would you know? You just don't know.
0: Yeah, you can't. You really can't. No. Know, but, uh, but yeah, I know they they just see their peers and it's natural. So,
2: yeah, um, that comparison, that judgment. Right. There we go. Again. Yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um <laughs> All right. So let me let me end with these five quick hit questions, Gene. Just maybe like okay. the association game, name the first thing that comes to mind. But okay. um can you name a leader that you look up to?
2: Well, Tom Walter came to mind right away. Yeah. The small giant, giant. What
0: wonderful giant. Yep. Um, how about a great book that influenced your leadership style? Maybe any something other than uh, the New Earth?
2: Oh my God, I've read so many. Um Oh, God, it's right at the tip of my tongue. I, I can tell you the one I'm reading right now. Uh,
0: yeah.
2: Lessons in Life by Phil Stutz. I like that. Um, but here's the book that I absolutely would highly recommend. And I just I do book clubs on it all the time. Uh, the Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. And then the sequel to it, Living Untethered by Michael Singer. Those would be mm-hmm. the ones that I would say I I style my leadership after
0: wonderful great recommendations how about an all-time favorite movie
2: i so many movies uh i have to go with the godfather all three of them i loved them
0: yeah yeah they're great actually i was i was yeah it was recently they were streaming so i was like yeah i
2: just watched them again maybe that's why right they're on my mind yeah
0: i know can always go back to that one um is there any uh tv series you like to binge watch
2: I just watched with my sister, who's here on uh, my trip with me right now. We just watched The Night Manager on Amazon and Brickbox. Super good with Tom Hiddleston. And they're going to make a season two. Yeah. And I like detective things. My my son is in law enforcement. He's a prosecutor. So I I watch all the crime shows. (laughs) It gets my mind off things. And That's one of my right. hobbies, I do puzzle. I do actual physical puzzles all the time, just to relax oh, a little fun. bit. Mm-hmm. Oh, fun! Fun,
0: yeah. Um, and lastly, is there something about you that many people don't know?
2: Um, the puzzle thing would have been one thing. Um, no, yeah, I, I'm pretty much a homebody. I've been traveling a lot with some friends, but I'm i I'm a homebody, and I should read novels, but I. Constantly read leadership books. That's why one of my life coaches told me, the reason I picked to do puzzles is because she said, you need to do something with no purpose. Because <laughs> I'm always being productive. Yeah. So I, I'm learning uh, to relax and not have to be doing and just be being sometimes.
0: Yeah, I know, and again, puzzles are a great way to do that. Um, mm-hmm. We all could, we all could sit down with a, a puzzle now and again. Yeah. Um, well, it's just been so wonderful to get to know you over these years and have you participate in the community. I want to reflect a little bit on what I learned today, just from digging a little deeper with Eugene and and uh, just hearing the stories about your dad and and uh, how he started off with these um, several different companies um, how you, your, your brothers got a chance to work with him, but they, they weren't really interested once he bought Ace Metalcraft and, and you just raised your hand and said, I want to do it. I want to do it. (laughs) Um, and you were seemingly watching your dad and, and develop that drive early on, um, to, to know that there was much more that you could do. You went out, you got educated with your masters. You, you also, um, did something very early to earn the trust of the team, whether the welders, the people doing the actual work, which you had no experience in, um, was just getting comfortable not knowing things and and also not only not knowing, but just asking, asking them yeah. for their advice um, and making it more about them than about you. And I think mm-hmm. that that has stayed with you this whole time,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, uh, that the key to culture for you is really training Everyone in the business, from the welders on up, training those leaders, that it's about conscious leadership, it's about emotional intelligence. And you've created uh, uh, an energy around that in the workplace so that everyone participates, everyone gets trained on it and and you use that combination of internal and external resources and commit to that, mm-hmm. no matter what is happening in the business. and that consistency is really important. and that the basis of this is not uh, really, uh, even the relationships we have with others it's first the relationship that I have with myself and yes. how do I develop self-trust, which saves energy, gives me the the ability to now pay attention to others, uh, to be curious, to be more strategic in in my thinking and, and how you stuck with that even when times were tough. And for people to understand, look, you know, when 30, 40 years in business, we all go through these cycles up and down, but if we stay consistent with what's most important, that's why the business has then grown the way it's continued to grow. And even though, for example, this year, you're having a challenging year, you seem very focused on, well, we're going to lean into training people because we know we're going to come out of this. And when we're Mm going to come out of this, we're going to be better than ever. Um, That's that's really really great. You know, the early learnings from, not only your dad, but your boss at Kelly services, just to realize, wow, there there's a, a place. And I, I waited tables in college too. Same sort of thing,
2: <laughs> yeah, where, so, you know, where,
0: you know, it's like until you go somewhere where they treat you different, you don't know that there's any other way, but you had right. that, that, that boss, the woman who treated you well, that was a cheerleader for you. Great example for, for you to know, to how to treat people going forward. Um, and, you know, kind of this epiphany you had, after nine eleven, and then then reading the the New Earth book um, about consciousness and higher purpose, and and it wasn't just about you. You immediately brought it to the team, and even though it may have taken them a while to catch on, you really said that it's about them, and it's a and you gave them the responsibility. It was sort of an early delegation for you to to realize that that this is not going to survive because of me. It's going to survive if and only. I train and develop and create trust with all the leaders um, Mm -hmm. in the company, and you've been able to do that. Um, How you made culture a system, a process, and that's sometimes very hard for people to get their arms around, and we have to honor that the same way we do every other process, particularly in a a process-driven company like a manufacturing company uh, that you're in. And And I was taken by the fact that as much as we all try to hire uh, great people and and um, go through a process to be patient to try to find great talent. That it takes a while to even earn their trust. They're still going to look at it and go, "Hmm, is this real? Uh, is um, how do I know that this is the way it's going to be a year, two, three years from now?" So it may take a year, eighteen months, but once you get there, they're really part of the family, and you're going to um, find a way to retain them and grow their careers and grow their, you know, kind of holistic life. Uh, through this same level of of consciousness, and um, you're also genuine and vulnerable to say that after all these years, you're not there yet, and you've discovered <laughs> one level, but there's another level that mm-hmm. you want to even bring to the world, and I think that's going to be your your contribution. And lastly, just the advice you have for young people, uh, which is the way you did it is you know go mm-hmm. for your dreams, don't worry about not knowing, uh, don't have a victim mentality. And all you owe is to try to be a part of the solution. Bring ideas. may not be the right idea, um, but don't just complain or bring the problem. Just bring the solutions. Be a part of that discussion. And I think that that's um, wonderful advice for a young person that's going into their career and and, and worried about the future um, to know that. All of us that went into business had really no idea what we were doing. We're still figuring it out. You're a great example of a, a lifelong learner and that's not gonna change. So um, uh, I, I really feel grateful to you, not only for, again, what you've done to impact us, but boy, the stories that we hear from those at Ace Metalcraft that have had the opportunity to work with you all these years you've changed their lives and you're going to continue to do that even if your your role changes. So um, what a pleasure to talk to you, Gene, and thanks for being on the podcast.
2: Paul, thank you so much. I'm so honored by what you just said. I'm honored to be on this podcast. I feel so lucky and so blessed to be part of this community. And thank you for your kind words. I so appreciate it.
0: My pleasure. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Growing With Purpose podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. To learn more about purpose-driven leadership, go to smallgiants.org or follow us on social media. Until next time.